Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, all, it's Jacqueline, still on hiatus. I am sorry this week's rewind episode is a day late. If I'm being perfectly transparent, I got distracted by Nazis. Um, so, yeah. But we all need a little something lovely, and I have the loveliest thing for you this week. In honor of the series finale of Orphan Black, which aired this weekend, I'm bringing you one of my favorite interviews I've ever done with the resplendent Tatiana Maslany, who you will love hearing from, even if you've never watched an episode of Orphan Black, though if that's true, get your life in order. (laughs) Either way, here's the show. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and I will admit I am a little geeked out right now because literally right in front of me is Tatiana Maslany. Hello, Tatiana. Hello. You (laughs) probably know her best as three quarters of the cast of Orphan Black, but she's also starring on the big screen these days, and she has a new film coming out called The Other Half, which we're going to talk about along with kinds of other stuff. I imagine like Trump and revolution will come Can't up. Can't wait. Can't yes, wait excellent. To get into it. But as you know, on Unscrewed, we start with a lightning round of questions. So the first one is, what's been making you the happiest this week? Making me the happiest this week, I had a, a day with babies. <gasps> my oh. my friends, like three of my friends have had <laughs> just this O from the bed. <laughs> also, oh. Deanna Zan is here producing yeah. this, and so you might hear her. <laughs> just groaning every now and then. Um, my friends have had babies, so I like, they're very much like my recharge. Mm, my check, and my like yummy. coming back. Yeah, they're just the best. And you can be, you know, your truest self with a baby. Yeah. You can just do whatever you want. And they're just like, yay, me too. What is the best sex advice you ever received? God, I don't know. Once I bought a vibrator that plugged into my computer. So it was like a USB, like, rechargeable thing. Yeah. That was fantastic. So that was at, like, a like at a store where they were, like, you should showing me vibrator. the different... Showing me... Yeah, and I think that was my first. And I was like, wow, this is also just really good for the environment and good for my body. God bless yeah. vibrators. <laughs> exactly. Yes, excellent. <laughs> what is the sex or sexuality-related news that's been making you the maddest or saddest this week or recently? There's stuff happening in Texas right now in mm. terms of LGBT rights, and it's nonstop. It's impossible to kind of pick one thing that's sort of the most infuriating or the most shocking or depressing. It's just everything's been, I don't know. I don't even know where to start with that. Everything's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear about the Oklahoma bill that, oh, you need to get your partner's permission to get an abortion, which I have questions about how that would even function. Like, couldn't I just grab some random dude and be like, it was him. It was that guy, yeah. Um, But also the guy who's, the legislator who's advocating it is like, 
I know women are really concerned about their agency and stuff, but I see women as hosts for the baby. <gasps> like, literally no. said that. Yes. Like, the alien host. Yes. <laughs> what? Like, literally, it's in front of the Oklahoma legislature right now. Yeah. No yeah. way. What? Where do you even start with that? How do you even begin to, like, talk to that person and just... This is the thing. It would be like, you just want to sit across from these people and just go like, hi, what's going on? Why do you feel this deep need to dehumanize people? Look, I'm a human. Yes. I'm a like human being. Them. Yeah, yeah. Like confront them with your humanity. Yeah. If I walk down the street and I feel unsafe, I tend to make eye contact with everybody and be like, check out my humanity. <laughs> like, I feel like yeah. there's something about like just sitting across from somebody that you kind of you can't put them in a box because you have to take them in as a person, yeah. you know? What is the biggest sex myth that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? That male ejaculate is, like, the only thing that matters. <laughs> and it's all about male orgasm. Yes. Um, which is, like, I don't even know when I when that was instilled in me or why that was instilled in me. I mean, there's many factors, obviously. I also, like, it's an emotional experience. For me, the most amazing times are when there's a release of some kind of emotion in it, whether it's, like, laughter or crying or or just, like, I can't articulate exactly what it is, even the feeling, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay, last lightning question is, who's one of the bravest people that you see out there trying to unscrew the sexual culture? I've been talking to a lot of people recently, just friends in my life, who in just the way they tackle, I think it's like day-to-day -day stuff, which I find quite difficult, where it's not like I have a platform and I can say, like, these are my thoughts and, like, I've, I can articulate them in a certain way, but actual day-to-day -day interactions where you're living your beliefs and yeah. you're living your, your feminism or your... And a lot of my friends do that. I have a friend, Brett, who just is that. She just embodies it. And she has no apology about it in the daily interactions, you know, actually actively doing it and not being a celebrity with a platform or being seen in any way other than your your kid seeing you, your husband, your friend seeing how you are like that to me is really impactful. Yeah. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like mm -hmm. I talk a big game. You know, I do have a big platform sometimes, but, you know, I'm certainly not always the most courageous when it comes to those individual moments. I get that. Yeah. Because there is a responsibility to speak and to be like, because we do have platforms. And so I feel a huge responsibility to speak up and to say what I think and, and stand up for people and stand up for the movement. But also then, you know, I'm on set or I'm in an interaction in a coffee shop and I find that shock so often blinds my ability to be what I want to be yeah. in that moment or stand up for somebody or stand up for myself or just calmly know. And then I always feel so ashamed afterwards and so angry at myself for not having done the thing that in my head I've planned a thousand times exactly how to react, yeah. you know? It's superhuman, though. Yeah. I, I'm trying to navigate this. Like, am I ready to go at all moments? Am I, like, just armored and ready? No. Or no. am I just porous and receiving things and like being present and then hoping that the arsenal is there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a I weird... I think you uh, have to maintain your porousness and your humanity and trust that you're just going to do more good than harm, mm -hmm. right? Like, none of us have to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to do everything that would be ideal, yeah. right? Like, I, I don't... I feel like living that armored way mm -hmm. is 
agreeing with the dehumanization of us, right? Oh, that's so interesting. And that the mo- the best way we can resist is to stay porous and open and vulnerable because that's where our humanity comes through, right? If, if you want people to see us as human, I think we have to see ourselves that way and allow ourselves to be that way. And that means imperfection, right? That means... The cocktails That means cocktails at noon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> I think that, and, and I think you probably will relate to this as an actor, right? Like that you, in an ideal sense, you prepare, like you think about what you would do. You maybe can practice, like I've done a lot of self-defense training mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. And then you hope that you are prepared enough that in the moment you're not thinking about your preparation, mm-hmm. right? I've never acted on your level, but I did theater in college. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> right? like, so I think it's that same idea, right? Like you need in the scene to be porous and vulnerable and present mm-hmm. and that you hope that that preparation you've done like gets you ready for that moment. That's so true. And I think it, and navigating set as well, the same thing, being open to a collaboration and a play, interplay with all the people who are on set, yeah. which is like an enormous amount of people from different disciplines and all of that. To remain porous and open to that and also, like, know what you know and, yeah. like, defend what you know, but stay open and not, like, reactionary. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You're a producer on Orphan Black now, right? Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? For me, it's been a creative voice that is part of the collaborative not so much the writing experience, but the kind of notes afterwards and sort of giving my feedback or in early stages, they allow me to kind of give my ideas or where I think a character might head or whatever. So it's quite fun. And it's always been the way, but now it's official. Official. And Yeah. I do want to ask you about the other half, your new film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks great. Obviously, I haven't seen it yet because, Mm -hmm. you know. It's not out yet. Nope. But it's coming out soon. (laughs) Yeah. March 10th in Select theaters <laughs> so I had one sip of champagne to know I'm what? slurring I had a slip of champagne oh yes and now she's drunk it's not I too far from the truth so the other half yeah it's coming out in select theaters yes it's about a romance between a man who is having a lot of problem with unresolved grief yeah he's and, sort of like a long-term grief right yeah. and a woman who's bipolar which yeah. is your role yeah right? tell us a little about it it was a passion project for Tom and my boyfriend Tom and I um, our best one of our best friends Joey Klein first time filmmaker directed and wrote it and he and I had been in talks for like five years to, to do this film together and he'd cited Women Under the Influence as his kind of inspiration for it and showed me that film for the first time and I'd never seen it and was I've seen it like 50 times since like I was totally mind blown and then Tom came on and for us it was just a, a great dream to get to play together because yeah. we'd, we'd never worked together in that capacity and it was so intimate and so raw and about a relationship and, and a deep love between two people who are on the peripheries of society because of the things that, that push other people away from them. So for Emily, her bipolar is the thing that, in my experience of playing Emily, is the thing that is it's beautiful and it's horrible in her and it's all of these things. like Her emotional life is so vast and so expansive and as much as that is devastating to her it's also her and it's a beautiful part of her and I, and Nikki sees that and he loves it he loves her for it because he recognizes the same thing in him which is 
other people don't understand it. Other people will put me in a box and other people will define me as this. But you see me. And that's sort of what it's about. It's about Joey always talked about they recognize each other's stink. Like they're two animals kind of sniffing each other in the jungle and... That's very Helena also. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Anything that, like, stinks. Anything with the word stink yeah. in it, yeah. Um, I have actually some very, like, profound questions to ask you about it, but first I want to know, like, is it weird making out with your partner in character? It's weirder <laughs> when you're doing it and the director's, like, your good buddy and is being like, okay, just do this. Okay, if you could just, like, ro-. that's weirder. It's, like, okay to be doing it in the... Because you just kind of, you know, we're both actors, and so we kind of can give over to it. But the first rehearsal we had of one scene where it's our first date and we're meeting, he's, like, around a corner, and I come around the corner, and we see each other for the first time on this date. And we were rehearsing it, and when I came around the corner, and we had our little thing, and then we cut, and then he, he and I just were like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Why are you dressed like that? What are you doing? Why are you acting? Like, why are we doing this? This is horrible. This is going to go to shit. Like, we can't do this. It was just too weird because yeah. we know each other so intimately, and suddenly we were, like, in these costumes and, like, talking to each other and meeting for the first time. And it was just, we were like, this is definitely not going to work. And then you just start doing the work, and I'm working opposite, like, my favorite actor and, like, my favorite person and just getting to play and, like, fuck with each other and, and play, you know, off of every beautiful thing he's giving me. And it's just, it was total, yeah, heaven. I loved it. Aww. Yeah, it was the best. It was the best. So, okay, the deep question is, although mm. you turned that into kind of a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. It seems like there are a lot of people right now who are feeling broken or injured or vulnerable the way that the characters in this film are, Mm -hmm. right? Or in various ways, but having those same experiences of being marginalized and being rejected by, you know, the dominant culture and and trying to find connection, Mm -hmm. right? That feels like, it feels very relevant to our current moment. Yeah. And I wonder if you can just reflect on that a little. Yeah, I think Joey really felt that um, when he was writing it, was really interested in talking about the experience of being on the peripheries of what everybody else is allowed to do. Sort of like the ease with which other people move through the world and that these two characters don't have that. The design of them is is even sort of like they have kind of an out-of-time look to their clothing and to the way that their love story, and it's almost like they're not part of the world. They're sort of existing in another thing. And what I'm interested in about it, too, is, is that we don't know whether these two are good for each other or whether they actually are dangerous for each other. And I think that's the nature of intimacy and, and sort of, you know, revealing yourself to somebody else is that you you tread in dangerous territory. And to the idea of the outsider or the person who is on the periphery or the person who isn't part of the machine, who exists outside of the machine, I'm always interested in those characters. That is Orphan Black for me. And that has become also like the clone club for me is like this community of people from all over the world who meet each other on message boards or whatever, meet up in cities, become each other's partners or best friends or whatever, all based around this idea of, like, we've created a community. If we're not part of the whatever, if we don't belong there, we're going to create our own community. And that's so powerful. You know, and I think that's something that we all need to be doing right now is, like, building those communities because it's so divided and it's so 
yeah. individual right now and so kind of separate. One of the things I told you we were going to talk about Helena, I am so moved by her. Mm. And specifically because, you know, she's been so abused and abandoned. She's been shown very little love and care in her life. Mm -hmm. Quite the opposite most of the time. And yet she seems motivated a lot of the time by trying to show love. Mm -hmm. She does it terribly some mm -hmm. of the time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because totally. she hasn't had a lot of models, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I just am incredibly moved by that. Like, where does that come from that she's motivated to love after so much harm was done to her? I feel like she's always been, and I mean this in a beautiful, loving way, is she's the little monster. And I don't mean that in any kind yeah. of, like, I, that to me is like her specialness, and that's what's so beautiful about her. For me, she's always been silenced. She's always been put in a cage because she's too much herself, and she's not bound by society in any way. So people try to harness her, try to domesticate her, if we're going to use that word, but, like, put her in this category of like, nope, this is what a human should be. And she just doesn't live there. And she's never experienced love in, in the kind of conventional sense, I think, for her sex, love, pain, abuse has always been tied. It's always been linked. She doesn't necessarily know the difference. That's why she recognizes Sarah and tries to kill her repeatedly. Right. And when Sarah kills her, she's like, I love you too. Yeah. You know what I mean? She yes. responds with and and for me, from the beginning, she's never been about hate. You know, she was written as, like, a villain. And I was like, no, no, no. It's all about love for her. Yeah. Like, from day one. Like, the sniff, again, she's, like, smelling a person. She's, like, taking them in. And, you know, she meets Sarah and feels this connection to her that's base and visceral and about love in an animal sense, not a heady, logical sense. Yeah. Mm. And that also leads me to think about, I loved when you sent out the, on Instagram, the thing of all the clones in the pussy hats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've been kind of wondering if they weren't all busy trying to not get murdered, mm -hmm. like how they would be joining the political resistance right now. <laughs> Do you have thoughts about like what each of them would be doing? Yeah, I mean, God, I feel like Sarah grew up in like an activist household. Like I yeah. feel like Mrs. S was an activist. And so Sarah probably has seen that and has been part of that for a long time since she was a kid. But, I, but I'm interested in, like, what Allison would do. Because I think Allison could get really, um, like, I've been reading a lot of Bell Hooks recently. Yes. And I'm, this is new for me. Like, I'm a baby feminist. Like, I'm learning. And it was with your book that I was like, oh, yeah, that book? No, don't stop. No, ser seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got Yes Means Yes, I don't even remember who gave it to me. I need to remember who it was. But I started reading it and was just like, oh, shit. Right. And I hadn't thought this way. I'd had instincts, obviously, feelings about it, but had never, like, read these words and, and understood how I was part of the system or part of, like, a socialization that was specific. It was just so infuriating. <laughs> like, I was angry for years. I, I always talk to my friends about, like, it was like I had these weapons and I didn't know how to f use them. But it really felt like that. I was just kind of, like, shooting into the air. Like, I didn't know what I was doing with this feeling I had, and I'm still just trying to, I guess, put it into art now. Because mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not as educated as I should be about this stuff. Like, I want to know more, and, and reading Bell Hooks has been so inspiring. And what are you reading? I'm reading From Margin to Center. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And just, but for me, I keep thinking of, like, Allison and, like, white female privilege and 
telling other people how to live and telling other people how to be activists and like it's just really opening my eyes so Allison might be a little problematic I think so yeah I think she could kind of be that and completely well-meaning but just not equipped not equipped with yeah. the knowledge of of what it is to to not be a you know fortunate white person who is in the suburbs with her nuclear family and what about Crystal Crystal? I love her so much. Yeah, and Crystal's interesting <laughs> to me because Crystal is somebody who I used to always judge. And, like, I still find myself going, when I meet a girl who presents herself that way, I still have, like, such an aesthetic uh, judgment or judgment about aesthetics. I don't know if I heard or read. You told someone a story about how you were playing Allison as sort of butch at first. And when you got the note about her being really feminine, that that sort of challenged you. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's related to your relationship to Crystal. For sure. Yeah. Like, I pictured Allison as Jane Lynch in Glee. Like, I was like, that's who she is. The mm -hmm. soccer coach. But then they were like, she's the most feminine of the clones. And I was like, what does that mean? I literally watched videos of women online because I was like, what are women like? I don't know why I have this block. <laughs> like, but it's, I think, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. I think it is also an internalized misogyny on my part and a fear of playing feminine on screen because I think it makes me weak and I think it, I can't be intellectual in that place or I can't be, yeah, it's a weird thing. I'm still navigating that. If you want that, a really great book about that, I do, you should yeah. read Julia Serrano, her book Whipping Girl. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. changed my life. Yeah. Because yeah. I've actually really always been kind of femi, just that's what I gravitate toward. Yeah. And had struggled with it for a long time because there is so much narrative out there about mm -hmm. that being unnatural and fake, right? As though yep. masculinity is somehow natural and perfect, right? Exactly. And weak and capitulating to the dominant culture and all of that stuff. And I read an excerpt from Whipping Girl in Bitch Magazine and, and just like something like completely clicked over in my head. Like, mm. oh, like fuck all that bullshit. Yeah. Like femininity can be so powerful. And I think actually... It's interesting to hear that you struggle with it because I think Allison really communicates that. Like, well, and she's, she is a boss. Well, and she's totally like my, like a lot of her is very natural to me. Yeah. And I just, I think, was embarrassed to say that, to oh. say that in the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And same with Crystal. Like, I adore Crystal and I feel very protective of her. And when I'm on set dressed as Crystal, there are times when people will treat me differently because of that and talk down to me or just full-on objectify me in a way that they never would if I was Sarah. Like, just would never do it. It's a really interesting experiment and really important for me to see that yeah. because I have always ascribed male traits, whatever that is, aesthetically, with power, with level-headedness, intelligence, groundedness, like you're saying, but there's something actually, I was talking to a friend about it, and she said her protest is presenting femme, and it is being femme, because she's like, you're telling me that this is weaker, mm -hmm. and look at look at me, I'm an intellectual. She's like, ridiculously smart, too. Well, and Crystal Just, is so confident. Like, yeah. she's unshakably confident. She was like, yeah. lol, you're my clone. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't have any, like, big, like, mind-meld moment. She's just like, that's not true. I know who I am. This is who I am. And she and uses the fact that people underestimate her yeah. as part of her power. It's like like Aikido, right? It's really cool. Yeah, she's she's so much fun. So do you Love think her. she would be resisting politically? Hmm, interesting. 
I don't know. See, I still have like a weird block around Crystal sometimes. I don't know. What do you think? I feel like she'd be pissed off. Yeah. I think that she would be pissed off. I think that she might be she might be problematic like Allison in certain ways, sure. right? Like yeah. but I actually think she'd be like fucking pissed if people yeah. are telling her what she can do with her body or yeah, not. Yeah, no, that's you know, very like, true. Actually. I think Cosima would be sitting it out. I kind of wonder if Cosima would be like a little distance. That's so interesting cuz to me she would be the first one there. Yeah. Well, she you would know better than I. Yeah, no, I feel like <laughs> she'd be cuz she to me is like all about people. And she's all about like protecting that yeah. autonomy. I don't know. She would definitely be marching for science. Yeah. There's science marches coming up, so. Really? Yeah. Scientists well, are marching. Because of the, yeah, the creationist education. Oh, yeah. Because, like, like, fucking Jerry Falwell is in charge of higher, higher ed, and, and they're taking all the data and the climate science right. down. And, yeah, yeah no, like, I feel like she would definitely be protecting yeah, that. Yeah, it's true. She would be super protective yeah. of that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So now I want to ask you, like, how are you thinking about your own role as? yourself Mm -hmm. like in terms of politically and as an artist and in this moment I feel and I have talked to a lot of artists who say the same that it's just like there we can't not say something through the work and through our platform I get a lot of things on Twitter where when I say something or post something that people will be like just stick to acting and I'm like why it's not your (laughs) prerogative to tell me that like I can say whatever I want. Like, you're you not know? also a human person? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not part of the the world. Yeah, and I feel I feel a huge responsibility to speak, especially because the show has touched so many young women in the LGBT community and just young women in general. I, I just feel, like, hugely responsible and hugely, like, honored that I get to speak and be a little bit of uh, a voice in in the change or whatever but for me it's putting it into the work and like this season on OB we've really tried to not always right over the head but like really work towards telling stories about what's going on right now. Do you mean season five? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I keep saying. I'm like, we're living this right now. This is happening right now. We have to say something or else, like, what are we doing? It is. It feels less like science fiction. Oh, yeah. No, no question. It's wild, the amount of, like, overlap. Yeah, especially this season. So we'll see how it all falls down in the end. But are you done with the season? No, we have two more episodes. Got it. So this is hiatus, and then I go back to... And then that's it, right? Yeah. How are you feeling about that? I don't know. Okay. There's still so much work to do that I'm like, 
yeah, it's sad, but like, how are we going to do these last two episodes? And it's still like a month of work. And <laughs> I know, but it's, I'm going to be shell shocked afterwards. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. You should take a long vacation. I'm going to. Yeah. I am going to. You yeah. should take an Obama vacation. Yes. Go on a, what was he on a, like a, Jet ski wind thing or like windsurfing, yeah, yeah, or kite surfing, yeah. yeah. Beautiful Obama on the kite yeah. Surf. I want to see a smile on you, like that yeah. big, and muscles on me that big. Yes, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's gorgeous. I just wanted to ask you about that and tell me if this is too personal. But you mentioned in a couple of interviews growing up being really small physically, mm. and like how that has affected your idea of yourself and your body and your power like ah interesting it seems like it's yeah it seems like something that you think about or feel about yeah god i definitely do i've never been asked that um i have all yeah it's really great (laughs) i think it's always been like my thing that makes me special like i remember when there was a little girl or like a girl in my grade who was shorter than me and i was just like who am I now? Like, I don't know who I am. Because I was always the smallest. I'm super attached to my small, my shortness. And for a long time, people thought I was 12 when I was, like, 20. Like, I think I was 23, and I played a 13-year-old who was, like, discovering her sexuality for the first time. And I was like, yeah, this is a totally, like, normal thing for me. I think it definitely made me stay back in terms of becoming a woman. Even just saying, like, I'm a woman is a weird thing still to me to take on. Really? Yeah, it's bizarre. What do but you mean I, by that? I think just because I was so young for so long and always playing younger. Oh, you mean as opposed to girl? As opposed to a girl. Yeah. Yes. Being like, yeah, I'm a grown woman. It's been something that I've tackled in acting classes a lot. Standing in the strength of what I know about the world, what I've experienced as a woman, and not needing to fall back on the things that worked when I was the little girl on set. And you did start really young. I started when I was nine. Yeah. So I learned a lot of bad habits acting-wise and then also just socially, like, how to survive. And so that's been, like, an interesting dismantling process. Does that affect, like, that sort of hesitance to call yourself a grown woman? Like, does that affect your sex scenes? Uh, no, sex scenes are fine. <laughs> <laughs> sex scenes are, like, the most bizarre. That's, like, a whole different thing. Because that's the other thing is when I was always playing younger, it was a benefit to have me older in order to do these edgier things. So I often played characters that were having to go through something that they wouldn't want to hire a young... An actual 13-year-old to go through. Yeah. And to have a knowledge about the world and about acting and about, you know, whatever, like to to confront these things, right? I played a lot of rape victims for a long time. And I think that's also just a testament to the industry and what it expects of like a girl who looks like me and is quite innocent in the face i don't have an edgy face you know so they're like okay let's shatter this innocence you know use this like honestly i played so many of those characters and i was like yeah this is really deep work like this is really interesting (laughs) not realizing that sure it's a thing so is it fun then to get to play Rachel, like, being a total top sadist. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the best. (laughs) I mean, that, Rachel is, like, the thing, she was terrifying to me in in the beginning because I was, like, CEO, like, of a company who, like, doesn't apologize for her existence and is actually, like, I'm entitled to everything I have. And like, and she gets off on beating men, and she gets off on it. Yeah, (laughs) and she's like total power top. Like, yeah, I mean that stuff is so much fun. I actually got to work with Helen Shaver. Do you know Helen Shaver? She's she's an actress from Canada who was in a film called Desert Hearts, which is like a oh. 
my god, yeah. I know Desert yeah, Hearts. Yeah, so she's the blonde one in that. <gasps> and she directs our show. She's an amazing director. She directs Orphan Black? Yes. So Wait, she, I never put that together. Yeah. So just for folks to follow along at home, Desert Hearts is an iconic, groundbreaking lesbian film. Mm-hmm. It was very formative for me as a little baby dyke in college. Yeah. In fact, I think it was Desert Hearts that... I watched with, like, my first girlfriend right before we became our first girlfriends. No like, way! Oh, yes! No, oh, Deller Hearts wow. is, like, lodged here. Yeah, so yes. she, she is, like... And for me, initially, that I knew her so as Littlefoot's mom in Land Before Time because she's also the voice of Littlefoot's mom, which, Aww. like, made my brain... I don't brain. think I knew that either. Oh, yeah, I, like, exploded. <laughs> she's amazing. And she's directed three of our episodes now. But she directed the scenes, the episode where we first see Rachel's sex and she's like ordering Paul around and kind of sticking her hands in his mouth and Helen like that was all Helen and she created the space to explore that power in such a way that was also full of vulnerability there's something about having a woman on set to direct those scenes that is like you can't you can't change that 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 experience is just invaluable and her knowledge of herself and her willingness to like share herself, Helen, when she directs, is vast. I've learned so much from her. Will you please tell her I love her? I will definitely tell her. And that her. she like I changed can. my life. Yeah, no, she's she's like my <laughs> if I could say hero, like her and Amy Poehler are like the heroes. I'm so mad at you that you got to be on Parks and Rec. Oh my god, I'm so mad at myself. I was like the whole time I was like why am I here? I'm not worthy of this. No, I'm not. And I, I'm totally fine with that because I'm surrounded by my heroes and I'm on my absolute idols show. Just being like, what? what In one interview I heard with you, you told someone, shut up. Shut up. Yeah, no, it makes it, it authentic, you guys. All right. Yeah. New York. We're in New York recording a podcast. <laughs> this is our New York hotel room podcast. (laughs) Uh, You told the interviewer that you go into like every new job assuming the director hates you and that everyone does not want you there. Mm -hmm. But then I also read this quote from Ari Millen who plays all the boy clones on Orphan Black. He said, what I really like about Tat is that I sense that she trusts what she's doing. Mm. So those things seem in conflict. Yeah, I think and I think that's both that both are very true. How does that play out? Mm. I listened to this great podcast, too, called I Was There, Too. Have you ever heard it? No. Matt Gorley. He talks to actors who were in, like, iconic movies or in iconic oh. scenes in movies. Um, and he talked to Paul F. Tompkins, who's, like, one of my uh, other heroes. And Paul talks about fraud, like, being a fraud. He's sitting opposite Daniel Day-Lewis and just going, like, I'm a fraud. And to me, that that was, like, exactly it. It's, like, every time I go to set, I have a sense of, like, I will survive this because it's my thing it's what I love doing and I enjoy that tension but also like deep sense of I'm not worthy of this or they're all gonna know everyone will know now the lie that I will have revealed the lie of who I am (laughs) but in the moment when you're acting you don't feel that you feel the opposite yes and no I think it's that tension honestly it's like that like even yesterday I was on Colbert and I got to do, like, a tiny four-line sketch bit. Oh, my God. We fucking loved that bit. Well, yes. I was like, my heart, if they could have recorded what my heart was doing, it was like, audibly, I could hear it thumping. Wow. And, like, agonized. But that's why I do it. Like, that's why I love it. Oh. At the same time as I'm like, when is this going to go away? When am I not going to be terrified to perform? 
it's a, it's a bizarre thing. But do you think that fear left you wouldn't be as good? There, there is something really wonderful about the fear too because it sort of guides me. I work with an acting coach who is always like, go to the place that you're afraid to go to in every moment. Whether that's like total stillness or an enormous impulse or like the smallest thing, like touching somebody's hand or not touching or not smiling or not laughing. You know, doing the, th the thing that is actually the scariest in that moment. And it can be the smallest little thing. So as much as it's like debilitating that fear, it's also like the indicator, I think, of, okay, I'm in a place where I'm vulnerable and I'm in a place where I'm alive. If I go onto a set and I don't feel that, sometimes the work's great because sometimes it means I'm in a place of ease and mm -hmm. there isn't a, a requirement to get over that fear. But also sometimes the fear opens up my emotional life, allows me to be yeah. more bleh, like more bleh forward, you know? Do you follow know. that impulse in your personal life too? Sometimes. I'm trying to like marry the two so that it's not just in my work that I do that. Yeah, like saying yes to things. And saying no <laughs> is also the scary. other scary yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. Also, like being okay with people feeling uncomfortable or saying something that I believe and having people hear it. Or yeah, guys, shut up. I know. Seriously, <laughs> we got the background noise already. Yeah, We've we get it. We're in New York. Character. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about another sort of like show personal life dichotomy. Like obviously Orphan Black is enormously concerned with ideas about ownership and agency, mm -hmm. right? That's sort of almost the whole thing, yeah. right? How does that translate into your own life? Like how do you think about feeling ownership of yourself or not in your own life? Um, yeah. And then sort of like the secondary part of that is there's this weird relationship with the fans, right? Where like they sometimes feel like they have ownership of you too. Mm hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I navigate. I'm learning to navigate. But yeah, I do feel like a certain requirement to be a certain way with people, you know, and that's another performance because they're expecting. Yeah. Cause, and also because I know what it's like to meet. Like I have met people who blow my mind and I just want them to be what I want them to be yes. and that's like not a nice expectation but no. it is like and then when they are it's like oh great <laughs> you know what I mean and if they're not it's like and if they're just normal like whatever it's like oh god you know what I mean I don't yeah. know it's a, it's a weird thing but I'm, I'm just trying to be like learn to be more real in it I'm also just grateful for the whole thing but yeah the sort of ownership of who I am is a weird thing when you're kind of put into the public yeah. domain in terms of interviews. You know, even this, like I go like, okay, what am I revealing about myself? What am I giving away of myself? But also it's like, it's all just stuff, you know? We all give of ourselves all the time. We all take from people and like, I'm still trying to navigate it and figure out what my, my boundaries are or what, what I want to leave, what I want to keep. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, I have just a couple more questions. I was just rewatching season four, and I keep being like, oh, I love Donnie so much, and yeah. I love Fee so much. Yeah. And then it made me think about men on the show. Look, there's obviously a whole narrative about the caster clones and yeah. sort of weaponized sex TDs and yeah. all of that. Like, that's pretty clear what that's about. Yeah. But I think about, especially Donnie and Felix, about how... I love them in a particular way because they're men and they're being awesome guys. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, 
But they're not doing anything more than the clones are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Donnie was her fucking monitor. Like, mm-hmm, he was a little mm-hmm. clueless about it. But still, he wasn't... Neither of them are more heroic than we think of as uh, the clones as being, like, mm-hmm. on paper. And yet, I think they get, like, extra cookies for being men. Mm, I do, right? Like, I, I'm like, yeah. oh, Felix is the best, and he gets shit on, and, like... Right. But they all get shit on, right? Yes. Like, yeah, for sure. You I wonder if it's interesting it, like, that they are in a supporting position, too. Yes. That they aren't... That they are, quote-unquote, supporting cast, right? Right. Like, the clones are the leads, and then these are the supporting characters who are male, which is often the opposite. Yes. You know, we're so used to seeing men as the default perspective, and then the women who support them or who are attached to them. Yes. Whereas, like, Christian said this thing once, where he was at, like, a fan event or something, and they were, like, going along the line, and somebody got to him, and it was, like, the Orphan Black panel, and it was just him, and somebody went, oh, the husband! <laughs> it was, like... That's kind of amazing! I know, it was so, It's like, terrible for him, but it's, like, it's so fe- great, makes though. my feminist heart feel so happy. Yeah, like, like, how many wife characters are there? Yeah, totally, totally. The awesomeness <laughs> about those actors, too, is that they're fully willing to... Like, Kevin, too, who... Art? Oh, is yeah. Like, Art is great, too. Amazing, yeah. All these amazing male characters on the show who are the support of the women. And I mean, I, I wonder know. also, like, Donnie and Felix especially are kind of comic relief a lot of the time. Yeah. So that might also be that special, like... Yes. They're like, oh, I can breathe when they're totally. in the scene a little bit, right? Nobody's probably going to die. Probably. Unless he accidentally shoots them. Unless Donnie accidentally... Just <laughs> a little yeah. around the margins, <laughs> Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> But I, what I love about Donnie is also, like, the Donnie-Allison, like, partnership. I love that their there's relationship. Like, when they find each other and they're together, it's like, oh, yeah, you get why they need each other, why they love each other, and why they want to be together. Well, and that they survived and transcended, like, an incredible betrayal. Yeah. Kind yeah. of in both directions, because she also maybe, like, tied him up and knocked him out and totally. tortured him. Yeah, but, for sure. Um... <laughs> but, like... Who's to say what's worse? <laughs> yeah. And they, they actually worked through that, and now they're stronger than yeah. they ever were. Yeah, I know. I love playing those scenes. Those Do are my you? favorite. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So my last proper question is, I've been talking a lot on the show recently, especially post-election, about pleasure as a form of resistance. I heard that, yeah. 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 And so I'm wondering, what gives you pleasure? A week after the election... There was this gala for the the Lesbian and Gay Archives of Toronto mm. to, like, raise money to preserve historical archives. And it was such a different experience going in there post the election than it could have been. could have been just easy, just fun. part, of, part yeah. of the flow of the fun. But it, it was different. There was something about it that was tinged with this, like, or maybe this was just me feeling it, but I don't think so. I think it w- there was, like, this need to uh, to release. And it was, like, in the dancing. Like, it was like an electric circus, which is a great thing, a Toronto-based dance show on Much Music in the 90s that was, like, very iconic. And it was just people dancing, just being themselves, dressed however they wanted to dress. And so this was, like, a 90s themed night electric circus night and so the music was all like from the past and like everyone was dressed as like 90s icons or like 
there were 90s protesters there, people with signs. And the dancing is really what the the pleasure was in going like, we're here and we're still alive and we're going to enjoy this moment that we're all together celebrating. Like, it just makes me... It's any of those times where I've been able to, like, be with a group of people laughing and just, like, eating and just dancing and not speaking and not having to talk and just getting to move and just move your body and just be in your body. Explode all those emotions in whatever way that is. That, for me, was and continues to be the pleasure is, like, anytime I get to dance and enjoy life, like you said, as protest, yeah. Enjoy life. Claiming like, your own humanity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tatiana Maslany, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. I feel like people probably know this, but I ask everybody at the end of the show, where can people follow your work? <laughs> they can follow my work on... So I did a film called Two Lovers and a Bear, which is available on iTunes. I did a film called The Other Half, which is premiering in the States March 10th. Go see it. Yeah, please go see it. And then... Orphan Black season five is premiering June 6th. And you also have the film coming out about the Boston Marathon? Yes. So Stronger, I just finished ADR for it today. So that will be like the fall. Okay. I hope. And then you can follow me on Twitter. (laughs) You should definitely Uh, follow her on Twitter. Yeah. I don't know. I just retweet people who I like. Occasionally me. Yes, exactly. And then my Twitter mentions blow up. (laughs) Really? At Tatiana Maslany. And then I'm on Instagram as something as well. I think Tatiana Maslany. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, and you can find me at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F, on Twitter and Facebook. You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available. iTunes, Acast, Stitcher. Please subscribe. You obviously don't want to miss an episode. Look at our high-quality programming. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like this episode, if you like the show... Please give us five stars and a little rating in iTunes. It helps other people find us. If you've already done that or if you're just not gonna because you're obstinate, also just tell your friends about the show. Like, we're always <laughs> could use the boost. So if you love the show, if you're glad I just brought you an amazing interview with Tatiana Aslani, <laughs> show me some love is what I'm saying. <laughs> this show is produced and edited well, it's usually just produced and edited by yours truly, but I actually had sound production help from the amazing Deanna Zant. She Woo-hoo! has her own show, The League of Awkward Unicorns. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was created in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. <laughs>
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.